Let's um, start with a reading from um, Isaiah, uh, chapter 55. <clears throat> Isaiah 55, verse 6 to 7, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon a wonderful call uh, from God, an invitation to seek him. Well, we're now going to read an account of um, the crucifixion of Jesus uh, from Luke's Gospel. And uh, in the message, we'll focus on the um, conversation that Jesus has uh, with uh, two criminals uh, that hung either side of him on the cross. So the passage is chapter, uh, Luke chapter 23. And uh, verses 40, uh, sorry, 32 to 43. <clears throat> okay, uh, this is the word of God. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're, you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. As we uh, come to uh, think about what this passage means, let's first um, stop and ask God to help us understand. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we, we do praise you uh, for your word. Uh, we we realise that this uh, is the word of God and therefore uh, help us to listen to it uh, with that attitude that, that recognises you are the one speaking. Father, we pray that uh, we would, you would open our eyes to see uh, the wonder of this promise that Jesus makes and help us to see how we can embrace that promise and know for certainty uh, the hope of eternal life through him. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Do you know, apparently the uh, worst thing about being crucified on a Roman cross uh, the, way back uh, then uh, was not the pain from those big, thick nails tearing at your skin as you hung there in agony. Apparently, the worst thing about hanging on a cross 
was not the shame of complete exposure before a crowd as you hung in this horrible way with absolutely no covering at all. Apparently, the worst thing about hanging on a cross was actually that you could hardly breathe. As as people who were crucified hung on a cross, in order to get a breath, they would have to pull themselves up on the nails just to get a gasp of air. Uh, It was a horrible form of execution. You know, those who died from crucifixion didn't die from blood loss or from organ failure. Those who died, died from exhaustion and suffocation. It was a horrendous form of torture and execution. And so it's actually hard for us to imagine what it would be like for these three men hanging on crosses to actually have a conversation together. You know, they're in absolute agony and anguish. Death is only moments away and every word they spoke must have felt like their very last as they gasped for air. But they do have a conversation. A very short one, obviously, but as you could imagine, the topic of the conversation for at least one of them was what's going to happen on the other side of death? Okay, is there life after death? And if there is, is it a good experience or a bad one? You know, what happens the moment I cross that threshold? What happens when I go into, onto the other side? Where am I going to go? What will it be like? He's thinking very deeply about these things. And not only that, he's thinking very deeply about who this man next to him, named Jesus, really is. And he's thinking, why is Jesus on the cross? And he's wondering, what does that mean for me? And so this morning, I actually want to take you into this very brief conversation between Jesus and two criminals. And uh, as we unpack that, I want to think more deeply about three things that come out of it. We need to see the gift that Jesus gives how you can receive that gift, and why Jesus can give it. Okay, The gift that Jesus gives, how you can receive it, and why Jesus can give it. So let's think about this gift that Jesus gives. And you can see it, if we have a look again at verse 43, the very last verse of this passage, uh, where Jesus makes a promise. And this is where we see the gift. Jesus says, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Incredible words. Uh, In fact, that idea of paradise, let's just think about that for a minute. Paradise, what does that uh, convey? I mean, it conveys a place of intense beauty and joy and, and peace. It's usually associated with the image of a magnificent garden, perhaps like the Garden of Eden. And uh, Jesus says that that's where he's going. Today you will be with me in paradise. And so what is Jesus talking about? He's talking about heaven. That's where Jesus was going. And, And here Jesus promises entry into heaven. It's paradise. You know, it's not a place of nothingness. It's not just fluffy clouds. This is a place of intense beauty and joy. And you... And Jesus is saying, you can come into heaven and be with me. 
Today you will be with me in paradise. Now these words are incredible because I think they convey more than anywhere else that entry into heaven is a gift of grace. It's a gift that Jesus gives. Uh, because look, here Jesus, he's making this promise. It's a no-strings-attached promise. There's no examination to first sit. There's no fine print that you have to read. Uh, there's no hesitation on Jesus' behalf. He doesn't set up any hoops to jump through. He just says, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Incredible words. But do you know what's most amazing about this promise? Jesus is making this promise to a criminal. And not just any old criminal. This is a criminal who happens to be being crucified. And, you know, the Romans, they invented crucifixion as a brutal form of torture. Um, but they only used it on the worst of the worst, the worst criminals. And so here, here's a fellow who has no doubt lived a, a violent and rebellious life. Here is a man who uh, has really ignored God all of his life, treated all God's commands like they were a big joke. And then he gets to the very end of his life when he's on the very doorstep of eternity and he recognises that his eternal destiny somehow depended upon Jesus and so this man dares to ask Jesus for a place in heaven. This man, of all people, and without hesitation, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, today you, you even, will be with me in paradise. Now how do you feel about that? How do you feel about Jesus making that kind of promise to a terrible criminal? So you, let's just think about it. What does a really bad person deserve from God? What does someone who has ignored God all of their life deserve from God at the end? Surely they deserve to be ignored. And yet here Jesus doesn't ignore this man. Instead, he welcomes him in. It's, it's just incredible. It's amazing. Do you know that song we just sang, Amazing Grace? Do you know who wrote that song? A man named John Newton. Now, who is John Newton? Well, John Newton, uh, before he met Jesus, he was a dirty-mouthed, bad-tempered slave trader. He used to buy slaves from Africa and ship them off to America. A horrible person, a wretched person. And yet at the lowest point in his life, John Newton met Jesus. And he found that Jesus welcomed even him. And so he wrote a song about it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me. And we just sang it. See, what we're seeing here in this promise is that the door that Jesus opens to heaven, it's so wide that there is hope for anyone. Now, there is hope for a criminal. There is hope for a man like John Newton. That means there's hope for you and me. There's hope for anyone. Because here we can see, here is someone who is so gracious and so kind that he would even welcome a criminal into heaven. This is amazing grace. See, that's why I say this communicates more clearly than anywhere that entry into heaven 
is a gift of grace. So that's the first thing. But the second thing we learn from this uh, conversation is how, how you can receive this gift of grace. Now, how, how can you receive entry into heaven? Um, because it's not automatic. Uh, you know, some people do receive this gift, but many do not. You actually have to receive it. And so we need to ask the question, well, how? How did the criminal receive it? And therefore, how can we receive it? And I think we can just put it like this. If entry into heaven is a gift of grace that Jesus gives, then there's only one way into heaven, and that's by receiving this gift from Jesus. Now, I know that sounds pretty obvious, um, but what I've found is that many people don't approach entry into heaven like that at all. Uh, Most people actually approach entry into heaven more like a wage than a gift. And they think of it like a wage, not, not in terms of a gift. Now, what's the difference between a gift and a wage? A wage is something you only get by earning it. A wage is something that you get based on your performance, based on the things that you do. That's a wage. And that's really how many people, or most people, I guess, think about entry into heaven. Uh, usually it goes like this. You know, so long as I do enough good stuff in my life, to outweigh all the bad stuff, then God will accept me at the end. Um, But what Jesus says here actually challenges that view head on. Uh, Because how does the criminal fit in with that view? Now, if it's about doing enough good stuff to outweigh the bad, how does the criminal fit into that? You know, it's a little bit late to make up for all the bad things he's done while he's hanging on a cross. And think about it, can you really cancel out your bad deeds with your good deeds? And try doing that next time you get a speeding ticket. You know, all, all of the good times, you know, all the times when you've driven under the limit is not going to cancel out that one time when you get caught driving over the limit. And that's how it is with our deeds before God. The Bible does not muck around when it tells us what our deeds deserve. The Bible just says plainly, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Okay, the wages of sin. What, what have we earned in life? The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so we, we see the Bible makes it very clear. You can't earn your way into heaven. There's only one way in, and it's a gift given by Jesus. And it's very obvious that the criminal in the passage sees it that way. Uh, You can see it in this little, um, uh, almost like an argument that he has with the other criminal. Notice there's there's the other criminal. The other criminal, we'll call him the grumpy criminal, and uh, the other one we'll call the believing criminal, just because they're not named, so we need to make it clear who's talking. So the grumpy criminal, he's up there on the cross, obviously feeling very sorry for himself. Uh, He gets really angry um, about, I mean, you can imagine, you you would be pretty upset, Uh, hanging there thinking, you know, look at how my life has ended up. Great. But he he gets all that anger and he just dumps it on Jesus. He says to Jesus, um, you know, aren't you the Messiah? Well, prove it. Save yourself and save us while you're at it. 
Now, that's not a confession of faith in Jesus as Messiah. That's, that's just following the crowd. He's mocking Jesus. He's angry at Jesus. But then in verse 40, uh, notice that the believing criminal rebukes him. And he says to him, don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. <clears throat> See, the believing criminal, he knows what he has earned in life. He knows what the wages are for his life. And he, he, he knows that he does not deserve entry into heaven. He is a man who actually accepts that he deserves to be hanging on a cross. But deeper than that, here is a man who knows his position before God. He knows that before God, he is unworthy. He knows that before God, the only thing he deserves is punishment. See, we are punished justly. And you can tell he's primarily thinking about his position before God because that's where he begins. He says, don't you fear God? That's where he starts. And so he knows that before God, he has no right to enter heaven. He knows that based on his own record, not a chance. And yet, at the same time, he recognises that Jesus gives the gift of eternal life to the undeserving. Jesus gives it to the undeserving who believes. And so as this criminal, the, the believing criminal, as he, he admits his unworthiness, and then in faith he says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he is welcomed with open arms. And so what we're seeing here is the gift of eternal life, the gift of entry into heaven. It's something that you can only receive by first accepting that you don't deserve it. You need to first accept that you don't deserve it. See, when the criminal said, we are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve, he's acknowledging the one thing that so many refuse to accept. You know, many refuse to accept that there is something desperately wrong at the very core of our beings, something that the Bible calls sin. This man is admitting that he's a sinner. Now, maybe it is easier for a criminal to admit that they're a sinner. I mean, after all, it's not like they've been trying to hide it all, the, all this time. Um, but then again, maybe not. Maybe it's hard even for a criminal to admit their, their sinfulness. Uh, do you remember that movie, um, The Shawshank Redemption? Remember um, uh, Andy, the main character, when he first goes to jail and he, he meets Red, played by Morgan Freeman, and uh, Red says to Andy, um, so why did you do the crime you know, that landed him in jail? And uh, Andy says, um, I didn't, since you ask. And, and Red just starts laughing. And he says, <laughs> he goes, well, you're going to fit right in because everyone in here is innocent. Didn't you know that? See, it's almost like no one wants to admit they're guilty. Even someone who, it's obvious, still struggles to admit that they don't deserve. Uh, and especially when it comes to God. No one wants to admit they're guilty. You know, that criminal, um, the grumpy criminal, he, he didn't seem to think he deserved to stay on the cross. He's demanding that he should be get taken down. And so we can see that if it's hard for a criminal to admit their sin and their unworthiness, 
then surely it's going to be a lot harder for the average Aussie who hasn't done any big crimes. However, if we do as the believing criminal did and begin with the fear of God, if we begin with the fear of God, then that puts, that puts ourselves into the right perspective. Because how do we look before a holy God? How do we look before a God who sees everything about us, who knows us to the very core? You know, this is the God who sees all of the selfishness, the God who sees all of the pride, all of the, you know, the lack of compassion, uh, the competitive spirit. He sees the lust, the greed, the lies, the pretending. He sees it all. He hears every careless word we utter. He knows what we're really like. Now, it's easy to hide it from other people, but God sees us as we really are. And when we begin with the fear of God, then we realize, actually, you know what? I'm unworthy before God. I don't deserve heaven. In fact, what I deserve is to be punished justly for the things I've done wrong. And do you know, it's, it's not until you come to that point where you accept that, that you're unworthy before God, it's, it's only when you get to that point that you will actually then receive heaven the way Jesus gives it, as a gift to the undeserving. Until you come to that point, you'll just think, no, I have to do it my own way. I have to earn it. But no, you cannot earn it. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. It's given as a gift from Jesus, and so you must come to him, acknowledging that you don't deserve it, and yet receiving it as it is, as a gift of grace. So we've looked at the gift Jesus gives. He gives entry into heaven. We've looked at how you receive it, by acknowledging that you don't deserve it, and therefore receiving it as a gift. But finally, I want to look here at why Jesus can give it. Why is it that Jesus is the one who gives the gift? Why is he the one you have to go to to receive entry into heaven as a gift? And uh, do you know in this passage there are lots of reasons why Jesus is the one who can give it? And we could spend all the rest of the morning unpacking them, which would be great fun for me, um, but you probably have other things to do. Uh, So I just want to look at three things briefly. Three details in this passage that point us to why Jesus is the one that you need to come to to receive this gift of eternal life. And the first detail, um, why, is that, that Jesus was innocent. Did you notice that in that little argument between the grumpy criminal and the believing criminal, um, the believing criminal says, this man, at the end of verse 41, but this man has done nothing wrong. Uh, uh, you know, why, why was Jesus on the cross? What did he do to end up on the cross? Nothing. Thank you. <laughs> You're absolutely correct. Uh, and that's, if you read from the start of um, Luke chapter 23, uh, over and over there are declarations that this man is innocent. And so when Jesus was put on trial by the Jews, you know, Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. They did not believe that. They did not like that. They thought that was a capital offence, and so they, they got Jesus uh, in trouble and got him killed. But when Jesus was actually on trial before the Roman governor, before Pilate, three times Pilate declares, I find no basis for a charge against this man. 
three times, the governor. He could have thrown the case out, but the crowd got into his head. They demanded that Jesus be killed. He caved in under the pressure and just went along with it like a big people pleaser. But he knew Jesus had done nothing wrong. After Jesus is killed, there's a Roman centurion watching the way it all played out, watching the way Jesus conducted himself the whole way through. And as soon as Jesus dies, the Roman centurion, he looks up and he says, surely this was a righteous man. And he's speaking better than he knows. Because not only was Jesus innocent of any crime to, have, to be on that cross in the first place, but the Bible declares over and over again that Jesus was innocent of all sin. There was nothing in him that was wrong. He was righteous in every way. Now, why is that detail so important? The reason that's so important, the reason it's so important that Jesus was a righteous man is because unlike us, he did not deserve death. The wages of sin is death. Jesus did not deserve death. And that's great because that opens the way for his death to be an atoning death. Now, what is, what is an atoning death? An atoning death is where someone dies in the place of another to pay their penalty. That's why it's so important to understand that Jesus was innocent. He can die to pay for someone else's crime, to pay for someone else's sin. That's one detail that shows us why Jesus can give the gift of eternal life. But second, we also see in this passage that Jesus did not save himself. Do you remember as we read through um, that the crowd, the, uh, the, uh, the Romans, I mean the soldiers, um, and then this grumpy criminal, they all say to Jesus, if you are the Messiah, prove it by saving yourself. And Jesus doesn't do that. Because he proves he's the Messiah by not saving himself. And I'll tell you why. As the Messiah, Jesus came into the world to deal with the true cause of all the brokenness in the world. And the cause of the brokenness of the world is human sin. And there are two ways that Jesus could deal with human sin. He could either wipe us all out or he could be wiped out in our place. Jesus chose the latter. He chose to die in the place of sinners, to buy our forgiveness. He saved others by not saving himself. And the other detail I want to point out here in this passage, let's just go back to verse um, 34. Uh, Jesus, he, he prays. As he's been nailed to a cross, he prays. And he prays in verse 34, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And when you, when you look at that in the context of Jesus actually dying in the place of sinners, do you know what he's really praying for when he says, Father, forgive them? Jesus is saying, Father, punish me instead of them. You know, surely this is the Son of God. They're nailing him to a cross. Surely the Father should punish them for that. Jesus is saying, Father, punish me for their sin. That's what it costs to buy forgiveness. And so now we're seeing what's going on in the death of Jesus. He was giving his life as a payment for sinners. 
You know, the moment you or I or anyone else puts their trust in Jesus, that moment, all of your sin are taken away, they're all paid for in full at the cross, which means that you can now be accepted into heaven as one of God's own. And that's why Jesus can offer this as a free gift. It's because he paid the price. Now, there's another place in the Bible that just sums this up beautifully in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. It says, Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Do you know, uh, in some ways there's no such thing as a free gift, is there? Someone has to pay for it. The thing that makes it a gift is that it's the giver who pays. That's what makes it a gift. And so when we think of eternal life, it's a gift that Jesus gives. Why? Because he paid for it. He paid the price with his own blood. And when you think about that and then you read these these words that Jesus spoke, with all of that in mind, truly I tell you today you will be with me in paradise. Just incredible. That's not just some throwaway line. This is Jesus saying, you know, if you knew what this is costing, if you knew what it costs for me to do this, it would blow you away for all of eternity. You would need all of eternity to be able to show your thankfulness for such an amazing gift. This is why Jesus can give the gift of eternal life to an unworthy yet believing criminal because he paid the price. It's why he can give it to unworthy yet believing sinners like us. Entry into heaven, it is a gift of grace given by Jesus because he paid the full price. Amen. Well, let's um, pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, just praise you for this wonderful gift. And Lord Jesus, we do say thank you. Jesus, thank you. What a wonderful saviour you are, that even though it cost you more than we could ever imagine, that you didn't shrink back from that. You didn't come down from the cross, even when everyone was taunting you to do that. And we praise you that you were willing to stay there to the end and face the punishment that we deserve. Oh, Father, we thank you for raising your son from the dead to prove that his sacrifice was sufficient, that, it, he, that Jesus is all we need to be right with you. And we thank you that through faith in Christ, that we're not only accepted as right in your eyes, but we are welcomed into eternal life, into heaven forever with you. We thank you that death has been defeated in the death of your son. And we praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.